Welcome to Hidden Growth, where I'm gonna share with you the unfiltered version, the good, the bad, the ugly, the humiliating, the vulnerable, but the truthful story of me building and selling three companies, getting beat up in business, having some success while keeping my marriage together, going from surviving to thriving, and raising five beautiful kids along the way. I hope you're ready. You've probably never heard anything like this before. Let's go. Hey, my friends, welcome back to another sneak peek inside of Hidden Growth. I'm gonna talk about my backstory. I'm gonna talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. There is a few swear words in this, so if you don't want your kids to hear it, uh, don't let them hear it. Nothing insane, but it might offend some of you, so I wanna give you a heads up. It's not normally the style of quick talk to do that, uh, but this is a sneak peek into the real raw truth of my story, and so I think you're gonna enjoy it. Um, again, this is only a small piece of it. We'd love to give you a copy of the entire series called Hidden Growth, uh, not just these little snippets. And to get that totally for free, you have to join us on our Family Legacy Initiative training. It's a 60-minute training for entrepreneurial families. You need to go to honorandfire.com forward slash FLI. That stands for Family Legacy Initiative, honorandfire.com forward slash FLI. I hope you enjoy the second snippet. Here we go. For a big chunk of my childhood, I grew up in a tiny town outside of Flint, Michigan called Genesee. Genesee is a tiny school district. The kindergarten through the 12th grade all go inside of one building. And this town was lower income, but not super low ghetto income, right? There wasn't total abject poverty. It was more like a trailer park town or a starter house town. There's a lot of uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, a lot of angry, tough, roughneck kids went to the school. And I grew up in, for what I remember, you know, some of the most prominent memories were of me getting my ass kicked every day off after the school bus, probably because the kid that would beat me up, you know, would go home and his daddy would beat him up. Whatever the reason was, that was my reality. And going through elementary school, I would get off the bus, get my ass kicked, cry, and then go home. And this would happen day after day after day. Now, my parents... Uh, both had, in different ways, rough uh, childhoods, especially my mom. My mom suffered through massive emotional abuse, physical abuse. She had kind of a nightmare childhood. And my grandfather, who's her father, is a terrible human being. And he's a, a terrible example of what it means to be a father. He's, he's nothing like it. In a lot of ways, he's a complete selfish piece of garbage. And that's just the truth. My mom endured that. Now, my parents got married young, and my dad worked really hard to get us this little house in Genesee. I think they paid around $30,000 for our house. And our house was clean. My mom would clean it. And you know, our, our clothes were clean and we always had food, but there was constant stress and pressure underlying. And then I go to school with these kids whose parents and their household were dysfunctional and screwed up. And there was anger and rage and all these little kids. And, the, and, and that was the environment. Now, one day I got off the bus and I got my ass kicked one more time by this much older kid that rode the bus. And my parents had had enough. And even though they didn't have the money for it, they decided to sign me up for kickboxing. There was this martial arts school in, in Genesee, or actually the neighboring town next to it called Mount Morris, called Russ Wilson's Kickboxing School or something. And they enrolled me into there, and I had zero confidence. I was a tiny little scared kid. 
And as much as my parents loved me, our household was full of stress and, dr and drama and yelling and anger. Not because they didn't love their family, because they were fighting their own internal war to keep their marriage together and to raise kids with barely having enough money to make it, to try to level up their life, right? So I sign up for this kickboxing, and in a short span, my world started to change. My world started to change uh, during my first kickboxing tournament. And I was an insecure, you know, timid little boy. But I went to this kickboxing tournament, and I was fighting my first fight against another kid. And this kid, it felt like he was 10 feet taller than me. Reality is he's probably a foot or two taller than me. And as soon as the, the guy started the match, this kid kicked me in my eyeball with his heel, a front kick right to my freaking head and knocked me right on my back. I'll never forget that moment. And I was really young when this happened, uh, but it's burned into my brain because for the first time in my life, I didn't get scared. I didn't cry when I got kicked in the face. It hurt really bad, but I didn't cry. Something different happened this time that kind of shaped the rest of my, my school years. And what happened was I got pissed off. I got angry. I stood up. They awarded that kid a point because he kicked me in the face, which is kind of the point of kickboxing is to beat the crap out of each other. And then we start round two and I went nuts. I went crazy on this kid and I ended up winning that fight. And that was a life shifting moment for you. For me, <laughs> I was going to ask you, what is a life-shifting moment for you? You know, sometimes we dismiss uh, the things that have happened in our childhood as if they're not important. You know, I, I view it as two camps. You got two camps. You got the one, the one side, people want to blame every bad thing in their life on their childhood. And I tell my wife, I say, you know, at what age do you arrive at when you're not, 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 you're no longer available to use your daddy issues as your excuse? You know, because if, if, you, if you got the shit beat out of you growing up, if you had a really hard life and, you know, from ages zero to 18 and now you're 67, like you weren't even with your parents for the last 50 years. Like, do you still use that as a crutch and excuse? And I see people do that. They, they make excuses. They won't man up. They won't take responsibility for their life. And that's kind of one camp. But on the other hand, there's these, this like fake manhood movement where people act like, you know, like it didn't matter at all, that nothing can hurt them, nothing can touch them, that they're not going to be a victim. And a lot of people listening to this, you don't give yourself enough permission to just acknowledge that the environment you grew up with had a profound impact on the way you think about the world, the way you view money, the way you view women, the way you view parenting and every, everything else. You know, when your frontal lobes are not developed and you're an undeveloped, you know, child mentally these things have huge impacts it's literally the programming that creates your base operating system and there's truth in that so you know my position is somewhere in the middle where yes we need to acknowledge that you know important moments like this can shape the rest of our life the the programming that's put into our head by our parents is a huge factor on what we're going to do if we're going to become alcoholics if we're going to have rage problems it, it all bleeds together but at the end of the day we can reprogram ourselves, and we are ultimately responsible for ourselves. anyway so i win this kickboxing tournament and it was like a, 
the clouds opened up and a ray of sunshine shot down on me. From that point forward, over the next few years, I went deep into kickboxing and I became very good at it. The only problem with it was that I was using this inner rage that I had because of my, my household, the other stress I had. You know, I don't even know because I was so young, but I had this pent up rage and I was getting better and better at fighting. And then I would get a little arrogant with fighting. And the school district I was growing up with uh, in Genesee, these were tough kids, roughneck kids. I remember one time a kid beat me up at school who had a mustache. I was in fourth grade, he was in eighth grade. And he had been, or I'm sorry, he was in sixth grade, but he had been held back twice <laughs> and he had a little dirt stash coming. And this kid was full of rage and he beat the crap out of me in front of my fourth grade girlfriend. So I had all this rage and I would look, for, I started to look for fights. I started to seek them out. I started to get a high off of it. I wanted to feel powerful. I wanted to feel in control. And I think uh, this was my version of that. This was the way that I did it. Um, now, with that being said, I've also felt called from a young age that I was made for something big. I was made for something more. You know, I come from a Christian household, and that doesn't mean perfect, as I've already previously described, but I did have a household full of love. It was just dysfunctional, and our parents loved us to death. My parents would die for their children, but they were figuring out their own life as they were raising us. Now, my dad had been working really hard and he, he got in a position where he could upgrade our lifestyle. This is a big deal. We were going to move to Fenton, Michigan. Now, Fenton was where all the rich people lived. And we were coming from our $30,000 house in Genesee. And this was a big deal. And I remember when we went and looked at our new house that we were buying, I think it was $89,000 they paid for this house, a little ranch house. It was a new build by a kind of a shysty builder who didn't do a very good job. But my parents were so excited, but also incredibly stressed out financially. We go to this new school with all these little rich kids. And the first thing I noticed when I went to the school is that most of the kids in the school were total pansies compared to the kids at Genesee. So what did I do? Looking for control, what did I do? I started seeking out fights. And from fifth grade, which is when we moved to Fenton, Lake Fenton High School, in middle school, in elementary school, when we moved to that district, um, I, I can't even tell you how many fights I got in. Uh, but I can tell you that I won all of them because I was an aggressive maniac, full of rage. In fact, by the time I was in eighth grade, my, my now wife, Ashley, <laughs> who went to school there too, she hated me. I didn't know this till later, but she thought I was the biggest bully, biggest jerk she had ever met in her life. You know, she didn't understand, and neither did I, the rage and the pain and the anger and the, the, the lack of uh, feeling of control over my life and how I would funnel that into smashing one of these soft Lake Fenton kids who grew up with jet skis and their fancy cars, right? We would go gr uh, garage sailing to get school clothes sometimes. Other times my mom would pick up two jobs or three jobs and work so hard just to get me good school clothes. And that was not normal in that school district. And uh, yeah, from there I started to develop uh, some other skills. I started learning how to uh, have a front facing personality and then have the truth inside my head. Maybe you can relate with this. Um, my front-facing personality, I realized that people were scared of me, that people didn't like me, that I was angry, and I didn't really want that. I wanted to be cool, but I also wanted to be popular. And I, I don't know. I just, between seventh and eighth grade, I started to shift into 
basically deceiving people. And I got really good at creating my public-facing persona and then having my own inner rage and my inner struggles privately. And it worked really well. Not that this is a good strategy, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't effective. And by the time I got to high school, things really started to get in a groove for me. I had started football in 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade. And by the time I got to high school, I was the quarterback of the football team, full of you know testosterone and all that, but also started getting really good at talking to adults and telling people what they wanted to hear and learning how to be funny, but also learning how to stick up for the little guy. Now, one of my claims to fame in high school is that I was the guy that would stick up for the people who got bullied. I would stick up for the people who were overlooked, you know, the, the other poor kids or whatever. And, but the real reason I even did that was because I was still looking for a fight. And if I'm honest, uh, all the little good moments where I'd intervene or I'd, I would beat someone up in really what was a just cause, it was really just me looking for a fight to give myself my own, my own fight high. I don't know if you can relate with that, but that was the truth for me. By the time we got to senior year in high school, I had a master key to the school. I mean, I was on homecoming court twice. I won prom king, you know, at prom. I was the the MVP of the football team, the quarterback. I was dating the MVP of the cheerleading team, which is my wife, Ashley. And I was drunk on my own false pride, which looking back now, it's really humiliating to even admit this because how stupid and pathetic is it for a high school kid to have any kind of pride? Your life didn't even start yet. But when you're 18 or you're 17, it feels like you, you did it. You arrived. I'm graduating. I've, my life, I, I succeeded at life, not realizing that we didn't even start yet. Now, I also started getting interested in entrepreneurial uh, things at that time because one of my football coaches owned a Domino's Pizza franchise. Now, I didn't know entrepreneurship was a thing. I knew that there's a lot of dysfunction around money in my household. There's a lot of stress around money. I also thought that people that had money or were rich, it must have done something bad. They must have cheated, lied, or stole, or, or hurt someone to get what they had. I didn't understand this idea of value creation, of, of any of that stuff. I, I knew nothing. But I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think it was my senior year, or, or shortly thereafter, and I started looking at some real estate books and things like that, and it, it started to stoke a fire in me. Around the same time, I started drinking. Now, you got to remember, as, as dark as it sounds of me, this rage monster, uh, I was, I had a relationship with Christ at the same time. It was like I was two people living in the same body. I genuinely loved and felt connected to God, genuinely. But at the same time, I had all these issues that I didn't understand, I couldn't identify. And all through high school, you know, one of my public-facing things was that, you know, I don't drink. You know, I was the coolest kid in the entire school, but I didn't drink, you know, I don't do that, right? And I was like this good example, which made teachers and parents like me even more. They'd give me a pass, you know, I would miss class and they wouldn't even acknowledge it. I would go out for lunch and take my truck to go out for lunch, you weren't allowed to do that. When I'd come back, uh, other people get in trouble, I'd never get in trouble. The, the principal of the high school put his arm around me one day when I'd done something particularly bad <laughs> and uh, I could have got suspended from school, maybe even expelled. And all he said was, you better play good this Friday during our football game. That's the kind of environment I was living in in high school. I was also a musician, and my school celebrated the fact that I was a musician. The economics class did a whole project, and, and I recorded songs for their economics project, and then they sold those songs as part of their economics like assignment. 
which made me even have more false pride and think I was even better. At our actual graduation ceremony, I wrote a song for our graduating class and played it in front of, I don't know, however many people were there, 500 to 1,000 people in this beautiful auditorium to commemorate my graduation from high school. What I didn't understand is that real life hadn't started yet and that no one gave a damn about any of that stuff except me and my own pathetic, small-minded, and still very insecure mind. I wasn't ready for what was to happen next. Part four, the prep for entrepreneurship. Now that I'm graduated from high school, it's time to face the real world. And it turns out the real world doesn't give a crap about what you've accomplished in high school or sports or whatever. It doesn't care about your false pride and your inflated ego of silliness. Uh, and it took me several years to figure this out. Now, when I was in high school, I worked as a pizza delivery guy because my football coach owned a Domino's Pizza franchise. And this was my doorway into entrepreneurship, at least the idea that that was a thing. My father had worked my whole life, a job he didn't, he didn't really care for. And he worked really hard and he worked a lot of weekends and a lot of overtime. And he did it sacrificially for our family, but I didn't view him as a happy guy living his dream because he wasn't. When I looked at my friend Lowell, who owned the pizza place, driving his Corvette, having employees, what seemed to be, you know, <laughs> this epic success story, I was really interested. I started reading business books, like I mentioned, and I started getting interested in this idea of entrepreneurship. I, I remember signing up for many mailing lists. I would go to Barnes & Noble or whatever the, the, the store was, I can't remember, and buy these little magazines, these small business opportunity magazines. And I read the little ads in the back of the magazine. And there's all these ways to make money, all these get-rich-quick schemes. Although I didn't identify them as such at the time, I just thought, oh my gosh, I have secret knowledge. No one knows about this stuff. You can make $10,000 billion a day. You just have to do this and sign up three people below you to do that. And 10 more people below that. And then you make a bajillion dollars a day. <laughs> and... Uh, this was my you know, 18 years to 20 years kind of stage. I call it the prep for entrepreneurship. So I was about to get taught a bunch of big lessons, but I wanna sh share with you guys some of the things I did during this time. I started listening to people like Robert Kiyosaki, Tony Robbins, I started getting inspired. I was reading all these small business opportunity magazines, and I was the first thing I did was sign up for a multi-level marketing company. A friend of mine, got me to one of these house parties and told me how I would get really rich selling this really cool health supplement. And I, if I just signed up three people and they signed up three people, then I'd make a bajillion dollars a day. So of course I signed up. I paid a couple hundred bucks. I got in, I got my supplies, my, my product, and I started trying to sell it. Uh, what I didn't realize was that it was a lot harder than I thought. I didn't have any formal skills of any kind, no marketable skills worth a, worth <laughs> a penny. <laughs> And I'm trying to be transfer my passion for this health product to these strangers. And I'm trying to sign people up. And I did, to some extent. I think I made about $2,000 total with this multi-level marketing company. And basically, it was me you know, persuading and pushing my friends and family to buy the stuff. Uh, but it really fizzled out, and I didn't do anything with it, and I quit that. Now this began to, uh, this was the beginning of a pattern for me of starting things and then realizing it was hard and quitting. And starting something else, realizing it was hard and then quitting. I did this over and over and over. 
there was another time I got a telemarketing call. Because I was on all these mailing lists for all these different opportunities, some guy called me and ended up getting me to pay $1,000 for this this uh, box of cassette tapes talking about the central bank and the Federal Reserve System and the difference between, you know, um, <laughs> a fractional reserve banking system and sound money and all these things, which is actually all true and really, really interesting stuff that we won't go into here. But it was another money-making scheme. And I was so greedy and so naive that I thought, you know what, this is it. This is a ticket. I'll send this guy a, a money order for $1,000. He'll send me these tapes and then it'll teach me how to resell these and I'll, I'll make all this money and it'll be really easy. Of course, I realized that that wasn't uh, easy at all. And so I quit. Then my parents went on vacation one day and I had a $5,000 credit card. Right after I turned 18, I got a Discover card sent to me in the mail, activated, the actual card. I just had, you know, called to activate it, but it was the actual card. I don't even remember applying for, applying for it. And I immediately had dollar signs in my eyes. So what did I do? One of the opportunities in the small business magazine was to buy candy machines that you could get rich buying these little quarter candy machines and then you get them placed at local businesses. So I bought, I think it was 14 or 16 candy machines on a credit card and I was uh, trying to understand the concept of arbitrage. So arbitrage, this is the pitch the candy machine gave. They say, listen, you spend $5,000 on these candy machines and you don't even have to pay for it. Just put it on a credit card because your minimum payment on the credit card is only going to be like $200 a month and, and you just have to make more than $200 a month selling your candy and you're making free money. You didn't even use your own money to buy the machines and then the profit, even after expenses, if it's more than $200 a month, then you're making money for free and it sounded amazing. It sounded easy. Well, it wasn't easy. It took me weeks to get my candy machines placed and I was failing trying to get my own candy machines placed. So I ended up hiring the company to place them for me. And they had these phone sales teams and they got these machines placed. They're in terrible locations. And I went and dropped them off at all the locations. You know, by, th by this time, I was already discouraged because of the effort of putting them together and getting all the candy and filling them all up and trying to get locations. When I finally dropped them off, I thought I had arrived. I thought, you know what? I'm going to be making hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month doing nothing that you can make money without doing anything. I'm still a pizza guy during all of this, but this was my little side hustle. Well, the candy machine business failed. In fact, uh, several of my, machine, my machines got stolen. The other ones, I just was so lazy and I, and I gave up on them. They got gross and broken and I wasn't maintaining them. And then the stores asked me to get them out of there because again, I thought that I could make money without actually working for it. Now, the ironic part was, is that I, I was a hard worker. You know, I would work hard on my pizza delivery thing. When I would work out in football in high school, I always would push myself. I'd push myself so hard that if I didn't feel like I was going to throw up during football practice, uh, I, I felt guilty. I felt like I didn't give it my all. But for some reason, at least at this stage in my business journey, the light bulb had not went on that you have to work really, really hard for a sustained period of consistent time to get a positive result out of a business. And that the illusion of get rich quick is really just that, it's an illusion. So needless to say, the candy machine thing failed and fizzled out just as the other scams I had signed up for did. After that, I had a great idea called box topping for kids. 
this is actually a really good idea. It was a very viable thing that I could have built into a business. And I believe that someone listening to this could turn this into a real business to this day. But that also fizzled out and I walked away from it. And if you're curious, what that was is uh, these advertisements I would sell to go on this gigantic flyer. Imagine this flyer that's 11 inches wide by 18 inches tall. And there's ads on it for local businesses. Well, then we take these flyers and we give them to pizza stores and they go out with every pizza delivery order. And I would sell 16 ads on these flyers. I can't remember the exact pricing, but basically every time I'd sell one out, I'd make about $1,500 a month uh, doing this. This was after the cost of printing and, and everything. And we would donate a portion of the money to the local athletic departments at high schools. And it was this whole thing and it was a beautiful thing. And I sold out my ads really quickly and I made $1,500 in like a week, which was like impossible money at that time. But for some reason, it was still a lot of work. And so I just didn't buckle down and focus on it. And I let that business die as well. If you're noticing a pattern, maybe you have this pattern in your own life still, or maybe you've had it in the past. And it's this idea that we can get this big reward with a small sacrifice. And the truth is, all growth requires pain. All growth requires uh, discipline and time. And the big one for me was time. I was probably the most impatient 20-year-old you would have ever met. Now, that wasn't to say that I didn't have big dreams because I always had big dreams. But to summarize this section, I think the point that, that the big takeaway here is that desire for success by itself is useless. Your desire for your life to change, for your financial situation to change, for your business to grow, for you to be a leader, for you to be respected in your community, whatever it is, fill in the blank, for you to be fit and ripped and strong and all that, anything that you aspire to have, any desire that you have, the desire by itself has no value at all, zero value. I guess you could argue that it's better than having no desires. But then again, is it? You know, in that case, ignorance would almost be bliss because for the majority of small business owners, we have these desires of success, but our actions are not in alignment. And I think our actions aren't in alignment because of a lot of reasons for me, it's because I had incorrect expectations on what it was going to take to do something significant in business. Uh, no one was there to guide me or teach me. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I was navigating this by myself, and I had just gotten married. 20 years old, as a pizza guy, living in a trailer park. I was trying to figure it out, but my expectations were wrong. I want to ask you, do you have the proper expectations on how much pain and suffering you need to endure to get the result that you want? You don't have to be scared of this, but you need to think about it. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this so far. Uh, share your feedback with me. You know, Share this on social media if this is resonating with you. We still, believe it or not, haven't gotten into any of the good stuff. I mean, there's so much stuff coming and all of it is inside of Hidden Growth, the full series. It's totally free, but there's only one way to get it. You got to go to honorandfire.com forward slash FLI and register for our 60-minute Family Legacy Initiative training. If you have a family, if you plan on having a family, if your kids are grown, it doesn't matter. This information applies to you if you either have had a family, currently have kids living in your house, or someday you hope to. 
This can change your life. It can change your life. That's why I'm forcing you to go to this training to get the full copy of Hidden Growth. Uh, I hope to see you there. Go to honorandfire.com forward slash FLI.